you want to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we talked about the wives' role in marriage, and this is the week all the husbands have been waiting for. This is the husband's turn. It has been said that getting married is really easy. Staying married is difficult, and staying happily married for a lifetime is considered one of life's fine arts. Really, marriage is actually probably one of the greatest amateur sports there is out there. Uh, I mean, think of it. People get married. Very few have hardly any preparation for it whatsoever. I mean, you think of all the years of training that you have for your job and the different things that you do and, and your hobbies and all those golf lessons that you took. And then think about how much preparation you have put into investing in your marriage to have your marriage last and be a life-giving uh, a relationship for forever. Uh, well, you know what? Very few have. Very little time has been invested. And when we come to the role of husbands, why don't we just kind of put it out there? Most husbands feel totally inadequate. I mean, it's, it's, it's like they feel like they're on this impossible journey. And it's only heightened as one who identifies as a follower of Christ and you're involved in the church and you're making all sorts of assumptions as you look around like that guy must be doing it right and perfect and and you look at your own self and you feel like you're a failure and you don't have to think too far back. And you've got you've got some indications that you didn't get quite right, you know, and you do have some failures and it's it's difficult and it's challenging. And then you've learned the hard way that you men, all of us men, we have this autopilot setting that we revert back to pretty much how dad operated for better or for worse. And so we find ourselves in this kind of predicament. And we uh, and then furthermore, we live in a culture that kind of just totally demeans the whole di- whole idea of a husband loving his wife the way the scriptures have has it. And what we need, men, husbands, is we need a fresh vision of what does it mean to be a man of God who is married, not defined by films, by the feminist movement, or false stereotypes. What does God have to say about how we are to live and how he's empowered us to do so? Now, husbands, what we're going to be talking about today is God's ideal, what he is seeking to develop in you as a Christian man who is married in your life. For those of you guys who are not married, but you think that you know marriage might be something that God would have you to do in your life, uh, you want to pay real close attention because you want to be this kind of guy. And for all of you gals that are not married, but you think, you know, someday I, I would like to be married, let me assure you, you want to find a guy who is very familiar with this passage, that these traits are already could be identified in this guy's life. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be picking up verse 21 through 33. We're going to be looking at the keys to a loving, lasting, and life-giving marriage. And as we talked about last week, a godly marriage is sourced in a relationship with God. Sometimes we get it all mixed up. We just like, give me some principles, and we just follow these principles, we think, and then we're going to have a Christian marriage. Christian marriage is rooted in your relationship with Christ. That's why you find the direction given in chapter 5, not chapter 1. Because in chapters 1 through 3, we find that we are a new creation. God has rescued us from sin. We were once dead. We've been made alive. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is the gospel that God, by faith, takes people and unites them with his son. And they are a new creation. And as a new creation, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you find out that you have a new capacity. You can actually walk with God. He fully intends that. And then you find that he actually gives you the capability of doing it. Not only does he tell you what it looks like, but he tells you in Ephesians 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To actually be filled with the Spirit means to be following his word and filled with the strength, the grace that God supplies so that you can do all that he's asked. Anytime you try to go plowing forward in your Christian life apart from grace, Apart from the Holy Spirit, it doesn't work. And guys, let me just tell you, you want to give your marriage the greatest gift, your wife the greatest gift? You want to be a man who walks with God. You want to be spirit-filled, filled with the Spirit, following his word. And with this new creation, new capacity, new capability, we have 
new commitments. And beginning in verse 21 in chapter 5, he says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. To be subject is to give way to another. And he's going to talk about what does it look like for us as Christians in our various relationships. Last week, we looked at wives. Wives are to be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. They are to respect the spiritual, the leadership of their husband in their home. And we talked about that in some pretty great detail. And I've had lots of interesting conversations with ladies. It's been very interesting to see the wonderful response that ladies have because this is what they after. They know, they sense they are walking in God's way. Their marriages are working. They're finding fulfillment because they're following his word. Now we come to men. And we're going to find out what does it look like for the husband in marriage. Let me just tell you, our relationship with Christ enables oneness in marriage. That's what we're after. Jesus said, the two shall be one. God join together. Let no man separate them. What is it? I want oneness. Now, some of you are familiar with a guy by the name of Stu Weber. He's a pastor in the Portland area up in the northwest. He's got a large church. He's an author. Maybe some of you have read his books. He's also a Green Beret who fought in Vietnam. Got three bronze stars. He wrote a book called Tender Warrior. And he writes that, you know, as a pastor, he gets uh, notes pretty much every week. He says most of the notes are, you know, warm and encouraging. And some of the notes he gets are not so warm and encouraging. That's just kind of how it works. And then he said, but I was, I was totally caught off guard when I opened up this one letter. It was written by a wife who had been married for 20 years. She wrote it in this neat feminine cursive. And she wrote a poem. And this poem was entitled, Life in a Tomb. Let me just read this poem to you. She writes about her 20 years of desolation, the emptiness of 20 plus years, the loss of hope, the battle for joy with a good man, a man content to be alone, but he needs me to be the keeper of his house, the mother of his children, a companion, but no communion. How can one endure contented with so little amidst so much material? I worry for my soul, living without love. Sadly, gravity takes over in almost every marriage unless you learn to walk in the power of God and follow the principles of God and actually follow the keys that he has here. What does it mean, husbands, to love your wives? In fact, that's what we see in in verses 22 through 24. We find the wife's role in verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And then he says, verse 25, about husbands, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it mean to be the head of your wife. It means this, guys, that you are responsible to love her. You're responsible. Think of your head. Think of the head. Does your head just like, I don't really like this body. I'm going to vacate and leave. Okay. Does it? No, I can't. I mean, you're attached. And Christ, Christ loves the body of Christ. He loves you. He showers you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He gives you grace, forgiveness, encouragement, strength, power. He picks you up. He is with you even in your darkest day. He loves the body. That's how a head functions. And that's how we are. We are responsible, if you are a husband, responsible to love your wives. And you see that word love. We're familiar with that. That's the agapao, the agape love. It is a love that is a commitment of the will. It's not based on passing feelings. Uh, Love in our world is this. I love you if you love me or you do something you like or you have something that I like. If you're physically attractive, you've got wit, you're charming, you're helpful, I love you. And if some of those qualities disappear or or dissipate, well, then I just kind of retract back. I just go back in my little shell because the world's love is a very conditional love. God's love is nothing like that. God's love is is unconditional. Even when we're at our worst, God still loves us because his very character is love. And husbands, we are called to love our wives in this manner. So let me tell you, in some Christian circles, this passage is abused. Guys focus on the 
Oh, the husband's head of the wife. She's supposed to submit, right? And that's going to be like my life first. I'm going to put it up in my man shop there or my man room, right? And I'm going to just focus on her needing to submit. Uh-uh. The Bible never tells a husband that you need to tell your wife to submit. Uh-uh. That is her role, her privilege. You're called to be faithful to love her. Let's get your eyes not on your wife and how she is doing. we got to get it uh-uh, right here between us and God. And he says, husbands, I want you to love your wives. By the way, you will find that no wife has any trouble following her husband's leadership when you've got a husband that loves her deeply, loves her like God. Robert Lewis has a book called Rocking the Rolls. And in this book, he has a chapter titled Common Headaches. And he lists the top five most discouraging male headship models. And so I'm going to just give them to you. First one, the irresponsible headship. This is a guy who's just thoroughly self-centered. He may appear to others as being loving, devoted, but he is totally wrapped up in himself, and he's very irresponsible. There's another one he says, he lists, the emotionally detached husband, okay, from the outside, the community looks, and it looks like this guy and this family's stable. They're, he's even-tempered. But in reality, he is totally detached emotionally. Even if he says nice words like, I love you, or good job, there is absolutely no emotion to it. It's like he's emotionally vo- devoid of, of real heart connection. And so he's just like he's going through the motions. Another discouraging male headship model he lists is the dictatorial headship. This is the guy who has the extremely high need of control, and he manifests this by making threats. Anger is his chief emotion, and he bullies his family around. He makes threats. He is just like an injured bear. He's dangerous to be around. He doesn't even like himself, and he's just kind of cruising around in his house. It is the dictatorial headship, and this is a family marriage destroyer. It's like what's happened is this guy has replaced Christ, and in that place, he's put Archie Bunker, for those of you who ever watched All in the Family. And you start functioning like that. By the way, your flesh somehow is, is, is oriented to go in that direction. And I don't know if you saw this, but just recently, Chuck Colson, in his Breakpoint commentary, April 20th, this is past year, 2009, this year, 2009, he actually uh, put out something very startling on spousal abuse. He found that through research that spousal abuse in evangelical marriages, people that go to church like you, is just as common as it is in the world at 25%. Hey, let me just say something. If that's taking place in your home, get help now. There's nothing to be fooling around with. You're in trouble. You're sinning against God, your wife, and uh, you may be even doing things that are illegal. It needs to be addressed now. Let me give you another male headship model that uh, is highly discouraging. It's the workaholic headship. This guy's job is more than just a paycheck. It's his obsession. He doesn't you know, live to uh, work to live. He works. He doesn't. He lives to work. I mean, everything is about his job. His creative mind, his ability for enterprise and thinking clearly and casting vision and running things ends when he hits his driveway and then he just checks out his place. He just sees as a place for recovery until his next business trip or his next meeting. And then there's a final one he lists, and that's the spiritual apathetic headship. He's a nice guy. Occasionally helps around the house, shows up at church. But he has no interest in any spiritual leadership whatsoever in his home. And, you know, and as we go through this, maybe you're going, man, this is getting awfully uncomfortable. Because, you know, I see some of this in me. Is there really any help for me? Is there any possibility that I can emerge from this? Let me assure you, absolutely, in Christ, yes. Absolutely. Husbands, you know what? We are to lead our wives by loving them like Jesus. He has given you the strength. He has given you the model. And he will allow you to do this. He will encourage you. And that is the whole purpose of this message. He wants to do this. He wants to accomplish this in your life. And let me tell you, our wives are looking for this. There is no wife that is going to stand up here and says, I want my husband to be perfect. 
Okay, she has come to the conclusion that's not going to happen. And frankly, she's not interested in perfection. But you know what she's very interested in? Direction. That you are moving forward. Steps are being made. Growth is taking place. You are not like a plant and it just never grows. It's just the same old size. I water, it gets fertilizer, it gets sun. The kids don't abuse it and it just doesn't grow. She wants to see growth, direction in your life. And so husbands, we're to love our wives like Jesus. And we're going to look at, as we look at this passage here, there's just three keys that you can find this passage about how husbands are to love their wives like Christ. First of all, it comes by denying yourself. You see that verse 25? Husbands, love your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is how Christ loved. He gave himself up. Do you know what the number one conflict, uh, number one reason for all marriage conflicts? Do you know what they are, what it is? It's one word. It's called selfishness. Selfishness is really the root cause of your marital conflicts. When we love like Christ, there is a death to self. We are denying ourselves so that we can actually come and be involved in our life, in our wife's lives. You know, this is how Jesus functioned. He was a man. When he came, he came to serve. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Now, when we talk about denying themselves, people go, yep, how did Jesus love? Well, he died for the bride. And that's right. But there's probably very little probability that you will ever be called for to stand up and take a bullet for your wife or to die for her. I mean, if that tragic occasion occurred, though, I would imagine that most of you men would step up and say, I'll, I'll take it. You've got to get through me before you touch her. And they die for their wives. There's just something visceral in men, and when they're married, that they're just going to stand up and do it. But this is something that's very interesting. Karen Howe wrote an article titled, Husbands Forget the Heroics, and she concludes this. Most women do not want their, do not want their men to die for them. They want them to live for them. Okay, so you might lay yourself out for the ultimate sacrifice. But what your wife is really looking is, will you be willing to live for her? Really, Jesus, his his act of dying for the dying for the bride was at the culmination of a whole lifetime of giving. I mean, that's what Jesus was doing. He was he was praying for them. He was giving of himself. It's like Philippians chapter two, verses five and eight, you know, where he talks about this is what Jesus did. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to humble himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death. So when we look at Jesus, we see him praying, providing, caring for, instructing teaching, entrusting. This was the life of Jesus, giving love. He lived for his men. His dying for them was really a full manifestation of how much he loved them and lived for them. And he washed their feet. He loved them even when they, they were just out there. They, they, were, they were wrong. They were engaged in activities they shouldn't be doing when they're pushing people around like children. He loved them unconditionally. And that's what we're called to do, guys. We're called to love like Jesus. You take a look at the Gospels, because that is leadership in action. And that's where we're to love our wives. I mean, you see Jesus even in John 21, after the resurrection. He's entrusting ministry. He cares for the bride. He wants to see these people grow and mature. By the way, being a servant and being a bully are mutually exclusive. God is seeking to develop among us men servant leadership that we are leading like Jesus. And our culture says that love is just something that you're in. It's all about feelings, right? No, love isn't something that you're in. Love is something that you do. It's a verb. You do it. You put it into action. And so husbands, we're going to love our wives like Jesus. We, we first of all, it begins with denying ourselves. But then second, I want you to see in verses 26 and 27, it is desiring her growth. Look at the text here. 
he says this. He gave himself up for her, verse 26, for what reason? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, let me give you a little background of what's going on here. In Greece, if you were a bride-to-be, this is what they do. They, these women would take you down to a river, and they would have this ceremonial bath, this, this cleansing. Okay, and what it did is, it, is that they give this bath and it represented that there was a you were cleansed from any moral or social blemish that you were washed. And so that you would enter into marriage in a, in a situation where the past was washed away. Well, friends, as Christians, we don't have the symbolic. We don't have like a little ceremony. We have a we have a cleansing that is real, authentic and it's complete. It is provided for. In Christ, when you come to Christ, our past is washed away. There is no penalty for it. And, and like, let me give you a great text. You might want to write this down. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 22. These are precious verses about the new covenant. And he says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are clean. I don't care what your past was. He has set you apart. He has saved you and he has sanctified you. And this is what's happening. You see, we are declared right by God. It is the doctrine of justification. We are legally right with God. That is the situation, the status of every single Christian. But what God is seeking to do is he is trying, he is seeking through his word and his spirit that there would be a manifestation practically of what is true of us legally. We are righteous. He, through his word and his spirit, wants practical righteous being manifested in his people. That's what he's saying here. It is through the washing of the water of the word. That's what Christ does with his church. That is why we're to be a people of this book. But you notice what he's doing. He's got these parallel stories going on. The same is true of husbands with wives. We are, as they interact with us, it is like they're interacting with the word. We are to be building them up, helping them grow and develop. That requires you to be spiritual. That requires you to take your spiritual life seriously, to be a man of the book, to be growing where God's word is shaping your convictions, renewing you. Uh, You're finding cleansing. You're getting vision, hope, direction. This is what God's word does. Your confidence in God continues to grow because his word becomes a part of the fabric of your being. And as your wife interacts with you, there is growth in her life. But also, you, as a man who is committed to her growth and development, you want to give her an arena, an environment, where she can grow and mature. She, She needs the body of Christ. She wants to be involved in the church. She would like to be a part of a Bible study. She likes mentoring. She wants to be mentored. You want to, as a husband, put her in a situation where that can become a reality. There's a lot of wives that would really like to be in a fellowship family, one of our small groups. But you know what? They want to do it with their husband. You want to create men an opportunity for your wife to grow and to flourish and blossom, and to become everything that God intends for her to be. Now, ladies, in case you've got the wrong idea, and some gals, you know, before they get married, they think, if I can just get married, and my husband's going to be the answer, right? He is going to give me a sense of identity, understanding. He's going to save me from every one of my problems. I need motivation, inspiration. He's going to be there. He's going to be everything to me. And then you get married and find out, whoa, wait a second here. You get reality check. Hey, listen. Do not put your husband in the place of God. Okay? You see, it is not advisable, nor is it even possible, for your husband to be in the role of Jesus. He wants to create and give you an environment to grow. He is not perfect. Okay? But let me tell you, Jesus will always meet your needs. He may meet your needs through your husband. But he will always be with you and he'll never forsake you, nor will he ever leave you. And so that's what we do, husbands. 
We, we want to be denying ourselves. This is how Christ loved the church. We are desiring her growth. That is what Christ desires for his church, the body of believers, that we grow and mature, that we become complete, teleos, perfect, mature, strong, like a tree that has sunk deep roots in and has sprouted out and is bearing fruit, fruit that reproduces. That is what Christ is seeking in, our, in a church, I think, especially in our church. And you know what? That's what a husband desires for his wife, that she grows, matures, blossoms, and flourishes. And let me give you the third, third key of how husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church. That is in delighting in their relationship. Look at the text, verse 28. It says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So let me just point out to you, that what you want to do is you want to love your wife in such a way that she knows it. And what he does is he says, guys, you know how you care for your bodies. Now, now most guys don't like get up in the morning and they look in the mirror and like, oh, I just get better looking every day. I can't wait for tomorrow. I mean, some of you may do that and you don't need to raise your hand like that sounds familiar. But what this does mean, though, is that you guys know how to care for your bodies, right? Like feeding, Right. Anytime you even think you might be hungry, and if you're like me, I think like I should be hungry at this time. I'm eating whether I'm hungry or not. Okay, we know how to care for our bodies. We know feed. We have we don't we want to avoid pain, right? And so we get the most comfortable chair that we can find. We plop it right in the middle of our house. We try to avoid pain. We know how to care for our body. We can clothe it. We need we need sleep. We just pass out right there. It doesn't matter who's talking to us. We just we need sleep, man. Because you know why? We know how to care for our bodies. We we clothe ourselves. You know, guys care for their bodies so much, they even, at occasions, they even bathe, okay? Take showers, get cleaned up. Maybe even last night, you know, oh, church is coming, it's my time for my weekly shower, and they do it, and they get cleaned up. Because we are so good at protecting and keeping and caring for our bodies. Sometimes we over-care for it, especially in the area of food. Well, guess what, guys? This is, he's saying, you know how good you are at caring for your body? Okay, see that gal that's sitting next to you? You want to transfer a little of that to her. You want to nourish her and cherish her. You see that in verse 29? Verse 29, that word nourish means to bring up to maturity, to promote growth and development. And that word cherish, it means to keep warm. And that means more than just setting the thermostat, okay? But it has the idea of like a hen keeping her chicks warm. Sometimes in a, in a barn fire, I've heard that they will come to a barn fire when they're kind of cleaning out all that debris, They'll find underneath a hen that's been charred, there are her little chicks, because that hen sacrificed her body for her babies. That is what is implied in this word. You keep warm, you protect, you care for her, you nourish her. And so let me just give you some very practical ways of how this takes place for a wife. Practical ways you can delight in your relationship with your wife. And I've tried to condense these and just make this as simple as possible. There, you can find the notes right there. I'd encourage you, you might want to keep this handy. First thing she's looking for, giving her security. She wants to know that you love her, that you delight in her. You want to give her security. You want to provide for her. I mean, think about your wife. You know, when you got up to some church... And for God and all your family and your friends, you guys said, I do. She said she'd follow you to the ends of the earth. And think about it. I mean, she's already here in Waco, Texas, right? She has followed you. She is with you. She is sitting by your side. She is for you. She, what you want to do, what your wife is looking for, is that you will provide for her material needs that you're going to care for her. She desires emotional security. She wants to know that you love her unconditionally. There's not all these little conditions and parameters in the world's way of loving. She wants to know that you love her unconditionally. She also wants to know that she's a priority. Okay, guys? She wants to know that she's more important than your folks. Okay? 
wise older parents release their children so that they can love their spouse and that there will be a preeminent relationship more important than theirs. But friends, if mom and dad are still running the show, and especially you see this like with some moms, they just kind of move in and they kind of take over. Friends, do not let a parent run or ruin your marriage. There is a leaving and a cleaving. Okay? And so what you want to do is your wife, she wants security. She wants to know that you're going to provide for her. And, and what happens if you lose your job? Well, you know what? You're going to find that wives are really very resilient. They can put up with a lot. They can live with very little when it comes to physical resources. But the one thing that they can't really live with very well is if they think that their husband's a bum. And, yeah, he lost his job, and there's no resumes out. He's not walking the streets. He's not talking to anybody. He's just sitting in front of the tube and hoping someone's going to call and say, Hey, I want to offer you a $100,000 job. You got to do anything? Oh, sure, I'm just sitting here watching Oprah. I'll be over. You know, this doesn't work that way. No way. Your wife wants security. She wants to know that you're willing to go to the lengths for her. Let me give you another thing that your wife is looking for. You want to love your wife in a very practical way, delighting in this relationship? Growing in understanding. Okay? I'm going to state the total obvious, but let it sink in. Men and women are different. If you have not come to that realization... Voila, this was the light bulb moment of the message. Men and women are different. Guys, if you think that your wife thinks like you, looks like you, functions like you, you are wrong. You are in for a huge shock. This is not how it works. What we need is understanding. Kevin Coward, in a letter written to the Arkansas Democrat in 1989, kind of surfaces this idea of differences. Let me just read this to you. He wrote, women are very touchy about certain gifts, as I discovered years ago after buying my girlfriend a catcher's mitt for her birthday. It seemed to me to be a particular thoughtful gift, especially, especially since she claimed she was not getting enough exercise. But apparently, she didn't see it that way. The minute she unwrapped it, she ran sobbing from the room. At first, I thought those were tears of joy streaming down her face, or... I figured, you know, it was like she was just overwhelmed being one of the first in the crowd to get catcher's mitt, that sort of thing. Or I figured she was excited and just couldn't wait to get outside and practice her throws to second base. <sighs> you know, but when she didn't return after a few hours, I got the hint. You know, here I'd spend all that time running around from one sporting goods store to the next, trying to find that perfect gift. I mean, we're talking a Johnny Bench model here, top of the line, and she calls me insensitive i mean you'd think that i gave her a year's subscription to field and stream or a box of shotgun shells which everybody knows should be safe for christmas stocking stuffers personally he writes i think she just had a lot of anger in her and took it out on me not that i'm trying to play amateur psychologist or anything you see what he was trying to do in a humorous way is capitalize that men and women are different they think differently they feel differently they process life differently. Husbands, let me give you a text. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You might want to write this down. Your wife is watching. It says this. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, speaking of her physical capacity, for she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of, gra- of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If you are not loving your wife and honoring her, you're going to find that it has a direct implication on your spiritual life. What you want to do is you want to be growing in your understanding. Okay? And wives are complex. Okay? It is growing understanding. You will never have your wife completely figured out because there's always going to be a new curveball coming here or there. And just when you think, I've finally got some steps and I think I got it, something new arrives. Okay? But you want to continue to grow in your understanding of her. You want to cherish her. You want to lighten her load. And frankly, if you've not grown up around women and been used to this, this is, can be a real eye-opener. I, I can tell you, I'm the oldest of four boys. And then there's my dad. And we had a really man's man, guy's house. And there was mom. Mom was a real, is a real lady, but she basically functioned like the referee, you know, saying, boys, get off that, and, you know, stop our wrestling matches and everything else that we're doing there. And then, you know, to make matters worse, you know, I had a, 
we had a dog, a male dog, Stormy, a Norwegian elk hound, kind of looked like a black husky. And so it was just all males, males, males. You get married and you find out, whoa, okay, this is so new and so different. What we got to do, guys, is we have to grow in our understanding. Now, my wife, uh, one time we were out on a walk and she goes, I read this book and you need to read it. And I, I'm like, I'm not overly smart, but I can pick up like that's a clue that she's trying to communicate with me on something. And I really. And she goes, yeah, I read this book called Five, uh, Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. And I'm like, you know, that's not really the kind of book that I'd, I'd read. You know, there's a lot of other things I'd be interested in. She goes, I really think you should read it. So I caught the message that I should. And we actually went on a little trip. And lo and behold, it had been packed, that book. And so I sat by a, sat by a pool and I, I read through it. It's a, it's a very simple book. Uh, but, you know, it was profound. The more I thought about what it was saying, and I have found out, it works in every relationship. Guys, this is so helpful. You see, your wife has ways in which God has designed her to receive love. By the way, you have the same thing. This applies to everybody, not just husbands thinking about your wives. This applies to everybody. And he just kind of highlights that we, we have ways that we receive love and give love. And so he just kind of, he actually has done all this research to show these are the five ways it happens. And your, your spouse, if you're the husband, thinking about your wife, she probably has one or two strong suits, although you may have the deluxe model that goes for all five, okay? But let me just tell you what he found. The first one is quality time, okay? This, there's, there's wives that they just like spending time together. She likes you to see you clearing your candle, marking it out on your Blackberry that, yes, we are going Wednesday night or Friday. It's our time. We're going to be together. Out on special dates, clearing your calendar, that, that communicates love to them. Let me give you the second one. Words of affirmation. This is telling your spouse how much you appreciate them. You're encouraging them. You give them general words of praise and, and just encouragement and acceptance. This, when you do that, it shows your love to them. Let me give you a third he found. Words of affirmation. This is telling your spouse how much you appreciate them. You're encouraging them. It, you're, you're, uh, uh, excuse me, words of affirmation. I already covered that a second. The third one is gifts. Okay. Third one is gifts. This is like when you actually buy something for them. Now, some people think like, oh, you know, these material objects, I mean, these are things. When you buy this, with a, like if a woman has, you know, gifts as her love language, it's not a thing. It's not a 1099 deal. It says, I love you. And it means a lot to her. Let me give you a fourth. Acts of service. Uh, really, this like any sort of thing that you can actually do around the house Helping out, washing with the dishes, making sure that leaky faucet gets fixed, uh, helping her out around the yard, acts of service, communicate love. And then the final one he has is physical touch. Uh, this might be just putting your hand on her shoulder, giving her a hug, rubbing her back. And these things communicate love to your wife. Now, if you're smart, you will figure out what it is that she receives love. If you can't figure it out, ask her, Okay. And I have found that it may change at different times. That's okay. But you want to find out. You want to be what? The, yeah, remember, we we're talking about growing and understanding. We just keep growing and growing and growing. But she wants you to figure this out. And by the way, this could be life transforming for your marriage. You know, uh, what she wants you to do is not end up putting her in a situation where she's writing her own version of the poem, Life in a Tomb. You see, you know, that man that. That, that gal was married to, he probably did love her. He just didn't know how to show it and express it to her way that she could get it. James Dobson wrote of a man that he wrote this, you know, I don't understand my wife. She's everything she could ever want. She's got a new dishwasher, a new dryer, a nice house. I've been faithful. I don't even drink. But she's miserable. And I can't figure out why. See, he's never learned how to love her as God has designed her to receive love. There's a country song that has the end of a chorus that says, you know, I knew her books, her cars, her clothes, but I paid no attention to what matters most. Men, we have to grow in our understanding of our wife. Nourish her, cherish her. I'll give you another one. Communicating with openness. Uh, your wife wants to talk with you. Did you know that? She wants you to turn the TV off. I know ESPN is really important. And I know that you've been following the draft so closely, and it's going to have a lot of implications next year. And all oh, that's very important. Don't get me wrong. But she wants to talk with you. 
she wants to have this one this this communication where it's not just one way where she's putting out sentences and you're like huh Uh, no she wants to talk with you and your wife probably has issues and problems that she's dealing with and let me this is a big help she doesn't want you necessarily just to fix them she wants you to hear her out she is processing she wants to talk about it i don't i don't want any hands on this but how many of you wives have had your husband make that great statement of empathy and said you shouldn't feel that way Guys, if you say that, that is so not helpful. You know what? Like, you shouldn't feel that way. I mean, you got some of the facts wrong, and that's not really smart. Uh, you shouldn't feel that way at all. I mean, she's not going to go, oh, really? What she's thinking at that point, she's like, ah, where's your neck? Ah, you know? She wants to talk. She wants you to hear her out. You know, good communication is like volleying in tennis, okay? Volleying in tennis, where you, you hit the ball, bang, and you hit it over the net, and it hits and then it's returned, and it's, it's done gentle and soft, okay? That is how good communication is. You hit, you let it sink in, what's being said. You're not just thinking about what you're going to be saying. You hit it, oh, great. And you hit it in such a way that you can return it. The guy that's just like, oh, the ball hits and passes by, like, uh, whatever. That's terrible communication. Or, oh, okay, I'm going to communicate. Okay, okay. And she hits something over there, and you just you slam it. You put a lot of spin on there. And that ball goes whizzing past her, and she's like, Ooh. and then you know she tries. Well, maybe oh, maybe something got into it. She tries it again. She tried a little communication, and you charge the net, and you are just smashing everything that comes by her. Guys, that is not communication. Tone it down, or get in the game. But it is volleying back and forth. And what you want to do, guys? That's by the way how you got married. Did you know that? We like to think that our wives married us for our good looks. Our intelligence, our athletic prowess, playing ultimate frisbee or something silly like that. You know why she married you, don't you? Because you communicated with her. You talked about more than the weather. You got past that. You got to a point where it's past facts. You got to talk at a heart level about feelings. And you actually gave her the illusion that you were sensitive and you were deep. And you could communicate for hours upon hours. I mean, midnight, oh, I'm feeling good. Let's keep talking. You know what I'm saying? Denny's doesn't close till 2 or whatever. You just kept going and going and going. You could know you could talk so much, right? But then you get married and all of a sudden that well dried up, right? Guys, your wife wants to see it in action. And I know you can. You've done it before. And God is seeking to develop that kind of skill in your life. You know, uh, in the Chicago Tribune, there was a woman, that wrote, Cheryl Lavin, she wrote this a few years ago. She wrote an article about things women wanted. She just made a list. It's very good. I'll just have to give you the final ones. But she wrote toward the end here, if you only knew how much a tender word, a thoughtful act, an unexpected gift means to us, you would do it, and your wife, your wife would improve exponentially. And then her final two. She says, when no one's home, Stand in front of a mirror and practice this until you can say it in public. I was wrong. And then her final one was, and after you've mastered that, work on, I'm sorry. Guys, when we've blown it, acted out in anger, spoken in anger, done the wrong thing, been irresponsible, guys, we need to take the lead and say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? We need to take the lead in it because a lot of marriages are going under because there's no forgiveness. And what happens is your marriage ends up in a cold war zone because you haven't learned these words. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Uh, You know, women that get involved in inappropriate relationships. And there's no excuse for it. Let me tell you why. Two big reasons. They have a deteriorated relationship with God. It's like they just grow distant from God. But the second, and may even be part of a contributing factor to this, is that there's a total breakdown in communication with their husband. And they just find some guy, and he seems interested. He can talk. He wants to find out about her feelings. And you're setting your wife up for danger, guys. The scripture says, love, cherish, nourish your wife. Let me give you just a final way that we can just do that. That is appreciating her for who she is. Just letting her know that you love her for who she is. Shanti and Jeff Feldhahn, um, they have this book 
called For Men Only, a straightforward guide to the inner lives of women. It's really a bunch of research they did, and they condensed it down. And one of the significant, shocking findings that they found is this. They write, quote, Inside your smart, secure wife lives a little girl who deeply needs to know you find her beautiful and that you, have, you only have eyes for her. See, she wants to be loved, cherished, and, tre- and treasured. That's what your wife wants. She wants to know that you love her, that you delight in your relationship. You've got you to communicate that. You could say it like, you know, thanking for a good meal. Notice things about the house, not when it's just a disaster, okay? Like, oh, what happened here? Okay, they don't, that sounds like scolding. She didn't like it, you don't like it. Okay, but just notice things. Uh, you want to speak well of her, especially in public. Do not do this like, oh, yeah. The wife is here, okay? That's like ball and chain language. She does not appreciate that. She wants to be cherished, prized, not treated like, ugh, like some big weight that you're dragging around in life. She'd like you to take her hand in a crowded place. What that communicates is, I love you. You are an indispensable part of my life. You are cherished far above jewels. She wants to know that you love just being with her. And she wants to develop trust with you. You see... She, loves, she finds herself growing in love with her husband when she finds us to be trustworthy. Now, all significant relationships are built on trust. But let me just tell you some ways that trust is eroded. Lying, being unreliable, pornography, failing to show concern for her, not telling her where you're going or when you're coming back. These are like trust erosion. She wants to be a part of your life. And furthermore, she wants to be involved on the same page financially. She wants to be on the same page with you. She wants to know what's going on with the finances. And, you know, some guys, they, they do things that are very hurtful. They put their wife in a financial straitjacket, okay? And this is what happens. Uh, they feel free to go out and buy guns and whatever else they see, right? They see tires that are on sale. They buy those, right? But then she goes out for tea with her, maybe a couple girlfriends. She spends $2.79, the guy goes into cardiac arrest, right? He's flipping out all over the place. Whoa, what are you spending all our money? Blah, blah. And in the meantime, why, he forgot about that last month. He just showed up at Best Buy and thought, you know, that flat screen mirror looked really good in our house. And he just bought it, never even consulted her. Guys, that is terrible. You and your wife, you got to be on the same page. You need to communicate. You're married. You are one. Talking about these things. Don't be making significant purchases without you two coming to union on what you should be doing. She wants to be on the same page with you. That is what she desires. You see, friends, going back to the text, look at this. Verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, when the curse came, there was great division. Women tried to usurp the role of men. Men either became absent, like Adam, or dictatorial and demeaning. But when we come to Christ, those roles are, that situation is reversed, and now husbands can truly love and lead their wives respectfully and honorably and nobly, and wives willingly desire to go with their husbands, and the two shall be one just as God has intended it, and he's made it a reality in Christ. He says, you know what, verse 32, this mystery is great, but I am speaking of, with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, as his, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, guys, I, I have to give you just this warning. There's someone that thinks a whole lot about your marriage who's taking this very seriously. You know who it is? God. And in Malachi chapter 2, final book in the Old Testament, God dresses and addresses the men of Israel, and he says this, you know what, I've got something majorly against you. You have treated your wife treacherously. She is the companion to you by covenant, and you have dealt with her treacherously, and I am holding you accountable. Guys, we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church, even if your wife is non-responsive. And we have guys like that. Their wife could care less about their faith, and they're hard and difficult to live with. Guys, you are called just to be faithful, to bear fruit where God has planted you. You know that ring that she's wearing? Is that a ring of honor or has it become a shackle of shame? You see, guys, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And wives, by the way, if your husband is growing in this direction, if he is showing signs of development, 
If he is a spiritual man, you need to realize this. You are married to an uncommon man. He needs encouragement. He needs to know that you're for him. I mean, there is no one else that gives him any strokes, any kudos. In fact, he's in a society that demeans him. He can't go to a movie without seeing like, I am totally different than that guy for a very good reason. You need to express your love and appreciation for him. And, you know, all of us guys, we fail big time, right? Isn't it so good that God has provided forgiveness always in Christ? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you. There's a man by the name of Dr. Robert Sizer. He is a surgeon. He wrote a book called Mortal Lessons, Notes in the Art of Surgery. And in this book, he recounts a scene where he had performed an operation. A woman had a tumor on her face, and he was forced to sever a nerve to remove this tumor. After recovery, and this couple was in this room, her, because that nerve was severed, her, her face kind of dropped off onto this one side. And the surgeon recounts the time coming into the room. It was an evening where here is this, this young, beautiful gal, her husband sitting on the bed. They're kind of touching each other, looking at each other. And he's watching this. And then she turns to the surgeon and asks him, will my face always be like this? And he said, yes, uh, the nerve had to be cut. And then she, she just bowed her head and she didn't say anything. And then this husband and wife are looking at each other, and the husband goes, you know, I like it. I think it's kind of cute. And then what he does is, husband, he, he shapes his mouth to kiss her now crooked lips. And the surgeon took it all in. Friends, you know what that is a picture of? That is a picture of a man loving his wife like Christ loved the church. That is what he's seeking to do in each one of us husbands. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this amazing text. Not only learn so much about marriage, we learn so much about how much Christ loves us and what you're seeking to do in our lives. So, Father, I pray that you might fill us with your grace, that what we've read becomes reality in our marriages, that wives... They are respecting their husbands and husbands. They are loving their wives, for this is the great mystery. So, Father, would you accomplish your will in our lives? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.